Welcome back to Claim the Stage. Today is a huge episode. It's episode number 150. And I saw it coming up. I knew we were going to be here. And I thought to myself, what should I do for this big special episode? And then my friend, Dr. Jolie Hamilton said, hey, my book is being published on October 20th, which happens to be the same week that this episode was due to come out. And I said, all right, let's have her on the show. If you're new here, Jolie is is a very popular guest. She's been on a few times and I'm excited to have her back. And if you're not clear on who I am, <laughs> I'm Angela Lucier and I'm the host of the show. I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women now meeting online. And today's episode is a little bit outside of the bounds of our our kind of theme for the show, which is all about speaking, but it's actually not because we're talking about speaking in the context of relationships and using your voice to create a relationship that really matches who you are and what you want and not just being in a relationship because you're in the relationship and you're not really even sure why and you you don't really say what you need. You know, all the things that can kind of happen over time or when you get really busy and the relationship is no longer a priority for you. So we cover a lot in this episode. One of the things I love about Jolie is that she doesn't pull any punches and she's very clear on what's important and why and how to do it. So there's a lot of really cool action steps she shares in this episode. I'd recommend grabbing a notebook and sitting down and like really taking notes from what she says because she sh- it's just in the like 40 minutes that we talked, she shared some things that could make or break your relationship, you know, things that could change everything for you if you follow her advice. So before we get into the interview, I want to share a little bit of her background. Jolie Hamilton is a research psychologist and an ASECT certified sexuality educator. She's also a sex and relationship coach, and she holds a doctorate in depth psychology from Pacifica Graduate Institute. She's spent many years working directly with clients, helping them improve their relationship skills, and is also a professor of human sexuality. Over the past two decades, she has started more than 20 business ventures, ranging from clothing design to personal training to providing birth and lactation doula services, all while managing her own relationships, pursuing her graduate degrees, and raising and homeschooling seven kids. (laughs) I also want to add that she has a book coming out today, and it is awesome. I got to I got a chance to read it before it came out and this book is it's so much wrapped up in one in in one little package and if you get it between today and Saturday it's free. You can get it on Kindle through Amazon and one of the things I'm going to ask you to do if you do get it for free is that you leave her a review because that will help her uh, ratings and it will help more people find it. And I think the more people who can find out about Jolie and her work, the better the world will be. Her book is called Project Relationship, The Entrepreneur's Action Plan for Passionate, Sustainable Love. And I'm going to put a link to Amazon so you can get it uh, after you listen to this episode. So do not walk, but run to Amazon, also known as your computer, and <laughs> get that book. All right, so without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Dr. Jolie Hamilton. <laughs> It never gets less weird. I, yeah. I know. It, it's fun for me to say, too. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. One it's always our, good to talk to you. Yeah, it's you're one of our most popular guests, oh. and you're also one of my favorite people, so this is exciting <laughs> to have you back. This is good for me. I get the full love fest on a random Wednesday morning. I like that. <laughs> We're celebrating two things today. One, your book coming out today. Yay. Very the second exciting. thing we're celebrating is this is our 150th podcast episode. So we have this big... That's so cool. I, I love round numbers. That's so cool. 150. Yeah. You've been at work. That's a I lot. Know. Yeah. So we've both had a lot going on. <laughs> Occasionally. I know. 
And today we're going to talk about your your newest baby that has so much value and great ideas and exercises and things that women who struggle in relationships can use. And you specifically wrote the book for women who own a business, right? And why did you choose that audience? Well, in part because of your wonderful advice to get specific, Um, You know, we were talking early on in 2018 about speeches and how you how you can really craft the perfect message if you know who you're talking to. And that led me to a whole year of thinking about exactly who I wanted to talk to. And it became obvious after a painfully, ridiculously long time that my audience was me and was the people I hang out with. And they're fellow women who are they're go getters. They're ambitious. They get stuff done. So um, whether they're entrepreneurial in that they own a business or they're entrepreneurial in that they manage a lot of things and they're ambitious in their career, um, that's really my aim, to, to talk to people who get stuff done because most relationship advice can feel like, oh my gosh, this is going to take forever to get results and it's so hard to wait. And I wanted to talk to people who were like, yeah, we want results. We want to take action today. So... Yeah. And I would say pretty much everyone listening can relate to what you just said. So (laughs) you're in the right place. (laughs) And when I had you on the show, uh, what, like eight months ago, I, this was a weird year. In the before times. Yeah. Yeah. Before times. (laughs) (laughs) We were talking about putting together a retreat for this very topic of helping women in their relationship. And today we're going to go deeper into that topic because it was such a popular one. And also because this process of finding your voice and speaking up and saying what is important to you is not only valuable as a tool, as a public speaker to get out and share your message, but it's also an important tool in your relationship. And, and I, when I talk to women who are in speaker sisterhood or who are out speaking, they often say that their relationships change the better they become at speaking and not just on a stage, but just in their life, because they start saying what they need. They start setting boundaries. They, they say no to things that they normally would have said yes to, and that changes their relationship. So I want to get into your book and some of the really great ideas you have because they're simple. Like some of the ideas are simple, but they're so powerful. (laughs) You know, as I'm reading, I'm like, Oh, I could do this exercise in three minutes and I bet it would blow my mind. Yeah. The, when I was setting out to create the actual, the actual action steps, um, I I wanted them to be doable. And sometimes I would write one down. I'm thinking uh, people know this. And I think at core, most of what we need for advice, we know already, right? We know it deep down and we ask for advice or we turn to a book in order to jostle loose what's already in us so that we can recognize our truth, so that we can actually act on it. So yeah, what I was going for is, yeah, let's shake that stuff loose and do something about it. They don't have to be a whole bunch of small changes adds up to an enormous pivotal life transformation. So it doesn't have to be huge stuff that you do. It could be three minutes that you start with. Yeah. I think that's the mark of a really good exercise too, is simple, but powerful. Cause if it is really complicated and it's something that's going to take six weeks, the chances of us doing it is pretty low. (laughs) It is, it is. And how do we fit it in? How many of us are trying to work, trying to build a business, trying to pivot a business, trying to keep our kids from, you know, falling off the edge of cliffs and um, educational or otherwise, you know, we're all, everybody is trying to fit in so much, but that doesn't mean that our relationships are magically easier to deal with. It doesn't mean that the problems that we had pre-pandemic or the disconnections or the boredom, none of that went away because we happened to be in in a very trying time. So we need effective strategies to actually deal with the problems because now more than ever, we need each other. So we need to be able to communicate with each other. Yeah. So before we get into the book, can you give us a little background story on how you got into this type of work? Yeah. Okay. I got in because I did everything wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Everything, like everything. I think I literally made every mistake. Um, So I think that everybody's work in their world, especially once you get to midlife, if you look back, you can see the path like, oh, oh, I was always into relationships. I was always into 
Like, how do we make a better relationship? How do we be a better self in relationships? And I mean, when I say always, I mean, going back to when I was a child and I didn't really understand how to make connections. I didn't understand how to make friends. And it scared me, even though I wasn't shy, it scared me to connect to other people. So over the course of my childhood and my teenager years and, and up through my twenties, I, I worked on these things in different ways, but I made a lot of mistakes and I hurt people. I damaged relationships. Um, I built relationships. I, I would get up and try again. And eventually I made some really su- significant errors in relationship. And most of them had to do with knowing what I wanted deep down and going about getting it in ways that that didn't work for everybody around me. And because of who I am, I thought when I when I finally came out the other side of some of those huge errors and had um, had settled a little bit and was a little bit more stable in my life um, at 35, I decided, you know, what? I'm going to study psychology because I want to know why, like why why do I do these things? So it was really personal curiosity. So bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD, because I don't like to do anything small, um, and then a certificate in sexuality education as well, and a whole lot of years of working with women. First as a, a birth doula, a child a childbirth educator, and then as a fitness trainer. I worked as a fashion designer, and I would talk to women about all their problems while we were crafting their wedding dresses, and how many brides would be like streaming down with tears while we're we're hemming their wedding gown. What I realized is I had I had always been doing this work, whether I was doing it well or not. I mean, I'm certain my advice when I was 22 was no good, um, but I was always helping people sift through the mess of their relationships. So yeah, when I finally got my act together and got the help that I needed to create a relationship that is honestly so satisfying, I don't even really have words for it. It's satisfying because even when it's not perfect, even when it's not stable, like even when it feels terrifying, it has this um, this soulful quality of connection that makes every minute worth it. And I wanted to share that with other people. I wanted to say, it's possible. It's possible to create relationship from your side that you totally love and you're totally into. That sounds wonderful. You share a moment in the book where you're standing in the driveway holding eggs. (laughs) Do you want to tell that story? Sure. Absolutely. So this, oh God, real life, right? (laughs) Um, So we have chickens. I've had chickens for like 20 years. And um, at some point I was running a gym and running the gym and homeschooling all these children that I have meant, because I've been a homeschooler since before pandemic times, um, it meant that we would get up at like 4.30 to 5 o'clock in the morning. And we'd have to go into the gym with all these kids who, of course, did not want to get up. And so I'm standing in the driveway. I've gotten all the children up Everybody has their backpacks. Everybody has their water bottles, all the things. And I'm standing there holding eggs because, of course, the chickens lay a lot of eggs and they lay more eggs than we can actually eat. So I'm selling some of these eggs to people who are coming into the gym. And it's super early in the morning and it's dark out. And my husband pops it. He wasn't my husband then. He was my fiance. He pops out of the door and like runs up the side of the car. And he's like, does everybody have their water bottles? And I, my face caught on fire. It actually caught on fire and I dropped the eggs and I'm like, no, because I couldn't believe that he was so happy go lucky. Like all he had thought about was getting up, putting on his shorts. He didn't even have to find a bra and getting in the car with his own water bottle. He hadn't thought about the 150,000 decisions I had had to make in the morning. And I was mad. But on top of that, I was just frustrated. I hadn't actually asked for anything else. I hadn't told him that he needed to do it any differently. I dropped the eggs. I'm covered. I'm a total mess. We still have to go to the gym, still have to train people. They're still expecting me. I still have to go do pull-ups. And I'm just looking at myself and thinking something has to go. And the thing is, because I was mad at him in that moment, mad about something I had never communicated, never asked for to be different, the place I decided to make the cut, like what needed to go, was time for him, time for us. And over the next few months, I we struggled so much because I decided to prioritize getting my act together. And the way I did that was to dive deeper into my work and my, the structure I had around the kids and the organization of our household and making sure everything ran. Like I was like the ship's captain. I was the starship captain 
captain of our house, seven kids, you know, a blended family, super complicated life, trying to run a business that meant we were out of the house 14 hours a day. It's not that I gave up on love, but I stopped investing energy there because I was like, you know what? He's just going to have to wait. I was frustrated with him and he seemed like the easiest place to make the cut from. And yeah, it all, we came this close to calling it quits about, it would have been about five months after that. Because once that disconnection, once I had shifted all of my energy to the management of my life, which I did very well, and I did get the act together, and I did it with less help than I could have had if I had communicated differently. But we grew more and more distant, even though we were still really in love. Um, and I and I kept, I actually started losing my words. We wound up on a vacation, um, a trip for my birthday in August that year, when I I lost my voice so significantly. And people who know me in real life would shake their heads like, Jolie losing her voice is not a thing. Um, <laughs> I lost my voice so significantly that I didn't speak to him for a whole day, the day before my birthday. And then I was still so upset. And it wasn't like an angry, I just couldn't find any words. Like I, would, I, would, I was just empty. And I finally had to write my thoughts down and I wrote them in a book and I handed them to him on my birthday. And he read them. And he started to cry and he saw what was going on. And from there, there was a new conversation to have. And slowly, I figured out how to talk about what was actually going on and what I really needed and the relationship I actually wanted to have. It was, it was excruciating to go through the silence and the darkness alone. And I didn't want anybody else to think that it was out of reach to, like, to go from that spot where you can't talk about it to where you can. Like it, it is possible. What was that moment like when you handed that to him to read? So terrifying. I was, I, I had that, that somatic experience of like my throat felt like it was closing and my heart felt like it was pounding out of my chest and it was very dark out. It was late at night, um, but there was the city noise and I could, I could feel like this pulsing. And, you know, in my head, I was thinking it was the music outside because there was a band playing on the street, but I don't think it was. I think I was in that, I was totally in this out-of-body experience where I could actually hear my blood pulsing because I was so in and out at the same time. Which is funny. He's always been very receptive to hearing feedback. Always. It's, it's always worked. We've known each other our whole lives. This is not a guy I've had trouble talking to. But in that moment, it felt like if I spoke my truth, we might break. It felt like if I said what was in my heart, there might be no more us. And I, I can't say why. Like there was no, there was no practical explanation for why I had decided that there was no more future for us. Nothing had really changed. Everything was okay, right? It was terrifying. When you started writing, was it hard to write down what you needed or did it start flowing out and kind of surprisingly fast. Yeah, it flowed out very quickly. And um, it was pretty, it, it wasn't nice. And the thing I was struggling with was that I think I thought I needed to find the right editor. And, you know, my internal editor was saying, you need to find a way to say these things nicely. You need to find a way to approach this problem in a way that will will serve everyone's needs. So that means his needs and his emotions, as well as my needs. And so my internal editor was really loud. And I kept having to just like bat the thing down. Like, no, just stop and just let it come. And once I started writing, and it was just this scrawl of a couple pages, it was, yeah, it wasn't nice. It was dark. It was muddled. It was, you know, borderline suicidal ideation level, like rough stuff. But the thing is, once the words were out on paper, the energy from them felt much safer. It was it was much safer. I no longer actually felt the terror. So there was a moment of trepidation while I handed it over. And then, and he'd watched me write it all down. We were in a hotel room. So he'd watched me and we're, I'm, I'm scribbling, scribbling, scribbling. And I said nothing and I handed it over and I'm, I'm all puffy from crying. And then he read it. So he started crying and the terror 
ended when I realized that he saw my pain and he didn't know what to do about it, but he saw my pain. And that's all I needed in that moment. I just needed to know that he saw it. I think you made a good point about recognizing your editor because sometimes our editor becomes so ubiquitous with our voice that we don't notice that there's two things going on in there. There's what we really want to say. And then there's the other voice of, should I say that? (laughs) Is it okay to say that? What if, what if, you know, all the what ifs that come after it. So that's a really good tool to, um, to give somebody who's trying to do this work is to recognize what's your voice and what's not. And where are you stopping yourself from showing up fully? So were you feeling shame also over what you were writing? Yeah. I mean, I felt a lot of shame about this particular relationship anyways. Um, you know, we had both been married when we met, we, um, we entered into a very unconventional life for a while, um, which I'm not ashamed of, but the world tried to place quite a bit of shame on it. Um, we, we weren't making a traditional life and that didn't go down well with everyone that we knew. And then I felt terribly ashamed in that moment. I, I'm scrawling these things out and one of the things that was coming to the surface very, very obviously was that I hadn't asked for what I needed. I I hadn't. And that isn't my MO. That's not how I move in the world. Like even when I was a child, I would ask for things. I grew up in a, in an ask culture sort of um, frame of reference, you know, like it was okay to ask for things. I was brought up hearing the words, it's good to want things, which is like, what an awesome message to have. Um, My grandmothers, both of my grandmothers, paternal and maternal, both said that it's good to want things. But I had lost my voice and I'd lost my ability to ask honestly for what I really wanted. And that so then there's layers of shame, right? So now I'm I'm noticing that now I'm I'm putting down on paper what I need. And I'm also ashamed that I haven't said it before. And I'm ashamed that I'm not being my my normal self, like my who I think of as myself. And it's all layered up like some sort of gnarly seven-layer bean dip. It was not yeah. good. <laughs> I think the gnarly seven be- <laughs> seven layer bean dip. <laughs> is actually a perfect example of what that moment feels like because there's so many things coming together at the same moment of I'm going to say what I need, but, and then all these layers come out on top of it that you have to then manage. And I think that's the point where a lot of people turn around and go, "Never mind, I don't know how to navigate the bean dip. Totally. Um, But you got to just grab a chip and go in. (laughs) (laughs) There's no other choice, right? So for me in that moment, I needed to grab a pen. I had lost my literal voice. So I needed to grab a pen and then take the bold move of of sharing the things. He was never going to open my journal. He was never going to violate my privacy that way. That was never going to happen. So I had to offer it. I had, I had to, that's, that was the only way forward for us. And we were down to like, we were within a few days of, of calling it quits. Mm -hmm. If, if one of us didn't find a way to bridge that gap. Well, you bring up a good point too a minute ago about being in a non-traditional relationship or being in something that other people might not approve of. And I think what you're pointing to is that creating a marriage or relationship that works for you is actually a small piece of a bigger puzzle, which is lifestyle design. How does my business fit into my life? How does my marriage, how does my, how do my kids, how do my interests? And they're all if they're all not working together, then you've got kind of the bean dip. You've got yeah. the prop. The <laughs> yeah. Cause the mom stuff can absolutely, absolutely. I, this all could have happened about our parenting together. This mm-hmm. could have been the, the shame and the not talking and all of that could have been, I don't know how to do the parenting thing. It wasn't, that wasn't the, the big, that wasn't the big rock. Certainly the parenting stuff was complicated, but or the fact that the business we were running wasn't working. It wasn't working for me anymore. It wasn't financially working for us. Yeah, the pieces of life weren't fitting together. And if any one of those pieces, I mean, at at that point, actually all of the pieces of our life weren't working together. But when anyone feels off, I don't know how the relationship doesn't get thrown off course, right? Because we've come at this time in this culture, this place, 
We want our romantic relationship to serve an enormous number of functions. We look for it to provide us with friendship and stability and financial um, security, or at least a, a, a sense of security. We want it to provide us with our sexual desire and our ability to feel wanted. We want it to, to be our, our co-parenting situation, and we want it to be our, our best friend. We want it to be an awesome roommate. We want all of that in one package. So, of course, how we design our life it's so easy to tap into how the relationship is going. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm stunned. I'm just thinking about like, yeah, I want to diagram it. I can't. <laughs> I know it's, it is a big one. Uh, you're going to need a huge canvas for that. When you were talking earlier about working 14 hour days and then trying to manage the structure of the family and your marriage or your relationship sort of taking the back seat, what advice would you give to a woman who came to you and had an identical situation of working, 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 and trying to be a great mom and you know, recognizing that there's a responsibility to be involved in their relationship and they're just failing at it? What would you say or do? Yeah. Well, the first thing that I turn to when somebody is at that, that crucial moment where they've recognized that the relationship isn't going the way they want and that they have a role in that, that no matter how much they want to complain about somebody else, they've recognized like, okay, I at the very least need to look at how I'm showing up. I go straight to purpose. What in the world is this relationship for? And you don't actually need to ask your partner yet. You can start just with yourself. What do I think this marriage or this relationship is for? What's its purpose? Is it, um, is it really about um, having someone at the end of every day? Is it really, you know, about falling into bed next to someone and just having that feeling? Is it about um, a spiritual connection? Is it about financial security? Is it about, hey, we make great, great roommates and we parent really well together. So we have more of a, like a business-like roommate relationship. And if that's the purpose you have, getting clear about it, um, you may find that when you bring that that purpose statement, if you bring it out and you have the larger conversation with your partner, you may find that you aren't on the same page. And there's plenty of places to work on that. There's plenty of ways to work on that. But if you don't know what you think marriage is supposed to be for, then you're starting off like, it's like you start off in the middle of a conversation, but you never read the introduction to the book. Like you, you totally missed your own introduction. And if your relationship is fairly, um, prototypical, if it follows the cultural narrative um, in, in some basic ways, then you may not have had some really crucial conversations along the way because we have a narrative and it can hold us very well. You go on a date, you decide whether you want to see the person a second time. You go on a second date. By the third or fourth date, if people are in their 30s or above, they're starting to think about like, so what does this mean? What's the future? Do I want to hang out with this person? And if you're if you're going along and the relationship goes relatively smoothly, you may never have a conversation about what you think marriage is for. You might never have a conversation about what that even means. Like, what does it mean for us to tie our fortunes together? What does it mean for us to come together and create a family of two? And that's before kids even enter the picture, so which only complicates the matter. So I always want to go back. And I mean, I feel like I'm following um, Simon Sinek's words, you know, start with why. Why did you show up? What was your reason? Because before you ask your partner, you want to get clear on your reason. Yeah, this exercise of developing your own personal statement I, I would, or purpose statement, I would say, falls under that category of simple and powerful because it sounds like uh, something you could do in an afternoon, but I would imagine that when you start creating this purpose statement, you start running into the shoulds and societal expectations and brainwashing or beliefs yeah. and stories that you've been told for years and years about what marriage is supposed to be versus what you might actually want. And mm -hmm. so do you have tools or things you say to people when they're trying to put their purpose statement together and they're feeling like, I don't know what's my voice and what's my mother's voice and what's, you know, this book I read about <laughs> or this totally. like rom-coms I've seen. You yes. Know, <laughs> every rom-com <laughs> yeah. ever. Right. Yeah. Because we have to sift out the, the cultural narrative, the rom-com narrative first. We, we really, we have to take that out. We have to take out the, um, all the, the old patterns of, of relationship that we learned. So everyone who modeled for us, yep. What was my mother's position in a relationship? What happened in the family I grew up in? 
those things all exist for us and they're not going to stop existing just because we notice them. But once we bring it, once we bring our attention to them, we can start the process of differentiating. Oh, that's my parents' relationship I'm talking about. Do I actually want to be in it? So I think almost everybody knows that there's, you know, there are shoulds kicking around in there, but how do we get past it? One of the ways we can do that is by asking ourselves to, to outline what we saw our parents do or whoever, whatever family we grew up in. If we grew up with, um, if we grew up with grandparents or we grew up in foster situations, it does, where, whatever models you had, write down what you saw. Make a list. What do you think their purpose was? Do a little, do a little guessing. And that you don't have to do that for very long. What do you think your parents would have said if you asked them individually what their relationship was for? Jot it down. And then you can fold that piece of paper up and set it aside because those aren't your words. But later, when you're working on your own statement, you're like, I don't even get this. What like <laughs> what? <laughs> what is mine? If you go back and look at those early words, and sometimes I'll have people do this like whole separate days. If you go back and look at your what you wrote down, you thought your parents guessed. If your parents' relationship was totally idealized for you, like you like you really believe that, and I'm saying parents in the most general sense. If you're if the model you had was idealized, and you're like, that's what I want. Great, cool you might be shaming yourself because you feel like you're falling short. So those shoulds might even actually work for you. Those those like, this is what I want. That is how I want my why to look. But you might be shaming yourself because you didn't actually create a life that works that way. So you can use your, your own judgment there. There's some things we can go from there, places we can go from there. But <laughs> more importantly, I think, is the the vast majority of people I work with realize that they're trying to live up to two separate standards at the same time. And those two standards are often at war with each other. There's this should that they should cling to, the, the models that they were given, the aphorisms they heard, all the things um, about how marriage should go. And then there's the list that they made for themselves, this sort of um, idealized what marriage is for that they never really said out loud, but they imagined. And it's often sort of in a rom-com genre. <laughs> like it it follows like a larger cultural script. And those two things can also be at war. And neither of them is an honest reflection of our purpose, our, our actual beliefs. Because if you never spend any time getting clear about your purpose, how would it be? How would it be? And even if you do um, like marital counseling before you get married or something, often that's done on, in the context of some like real performative stuff. Not always. Sometimes it's really well done, but often there's this sort of pro forma. I'm going to I'm gonna show up and I'm going to talk to a pastor or, um, or a marriage counselor this one time to make sure that, you know, we've talked about the big things. If, you know, we talk for maybe a couple of hours, a couple of times. Then once you've already said yes to marrying somebody and now you're sitting in this office, there's this sense of judgment that can happen where now you're not having the real conversation. So you may never have had these real honest conversations with your other with your partner, but you may also not even be clear what you would have said if they were honest conversations. So it's it is it's a it's a sticky process to try to sort out that seven layer bean dip. That's not going to go well. Like if I try to take that apart, it's going to be a mess. So I can't ask myself to take it apart into like constituent pieces and have it all be neat and pretty. Instead, I want to look for like a core message that aligns with my values at heart, like my deepest values. So I want to get down to a core message that's value-oriented, mission-oriented, vision-oriented. So if I don't have any clarity and the mess, the shame is getting to me, then I step back from trying to create a purpose statement and go a layer deeper let's talk about values and strengths first. Let's talk about the the actual core values I have. And from there, go look at what do I want marriage to be for? I mean, I have a purpose for my marriage. I know what I want it to be for. I don't think it's the right fit for everyone. We're, we're all doing different stuff. There's yeah. no need. There's a lot of models. You know, I would think that this process would uncover things that we might not want to see 
And that would mean probably starting with the question, am I willing to be honest with myself and (laughs) actually follow through on what I discover? Because I would think there'd be a lot of points in this process where you might want to turn around and go, never mind. No, 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 no. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. Cause I know that my purpose in this relationship is more More about about. uh, being a great parent with this person. And I'm pretty sure that's not my partner's purpose. And that's going to create a whole world of problems for everybody, or, you know, we're going to have to deal with it now. What do you, how do you help people through that? Cause that seems like its own set of hurdles of just being able to deal with the, the um, aftermath. Yeah. So my goal is always to work with people who are willing to dig in. They're willing to do the work. So my question would be, well, do you want to be buried alive in a box? That is from an old <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. I know. So it's from an old Bob Newhart comedy sketch where he's doing this like terrible, um, this terrible, terrible mock-up of like, a fake therapy session where, um, where somebody comes in and they're, they're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly anxious and I'm terribly afraid. And he's like, well, don't be, what do you want to be buried alive in a box? And he just keeps asking her this over and over again. It's just, it, it's just ridiculous. But at heart, there is this moment where we have to decide, like right at the core of ourselves, we have to be willing to decide that we're willing to be uncomfortable and to do the, the next the next hard thing. It's not, it doesn't have to be the next huge hard thing. This doesn't mean that we have to flip over all the tables in our marriage and, and, and up and turn up everything. I did. I threw my marriage, my first marriage into the wood chipper and somehow thought that that was all going to work out. It was in, it was not well thought out. It's not what I would recommend to anyone. I heard a lot of people in that process, but doing nothing means you've decided. You can't pretend like that's not a decision. It is a decision. Deciding not to make any movement is deciding that you're okay with the relationship going however it goes. And if your partner is the large driver in the relationship, then you're deciding to let them be the the primary mover in the relationship. Or if nobody is, then you're deciding to let the water carry you wherever. So if if you're willing to own that, if you're willing to own the decision not to decide, then you could just as easily decide to decide. You could decide to step into the uncomfortable spot of like, okay, okay, this is not gonna, this is not, the first step isn't necessarily going to be pretty. In fact, the first 10 steps probably aren't gonna be pretty. This is probably an important moment to mention that you do coaching. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> I, I do coaching for people who are, are, are ready to, to question what their motives ever were and, um, and dig in and just, and see, well, how do I want to design my relationship? So I, I refer to therapists all the time. I don't, I don't approach this from a, a therapy perspective. I approach relationships from a, how do I want to design my relationship? I want to proactively, the same way I sit down every quarter and I look at my business plans and I make, I make adjustments. I adjust for what happened and I go forward. I coach people to take their relationships that seriously. Like, yep, let's have, let's, let's have quarterly reviews. Let's have set times that we reconnect. Let's figure out what we need to put in place, the systems we need to have in place in order for this relationship to work for everybody involved, which includes me, my partner or partners, and my children, all, everybody involved. So this is about real intentional relationship design. And for women who are already ambitious go-getters, like this actually, it works really, really well. You may upset the apple cart at the at, out, at the outset because if if you've been using the cultural script to just sort of carry you along, when you first start saying, okay, we're going to get intentional about this, yeah, that might cause some waves. But if your partner's in it with you and you and and you're having conversations, it's just like making changes in your business. It's just like making you know making adjustments for dealing with. The, the way issues come up as your children grow and, and their needs just change. You get pregnant, you have no idea what's coming next and you, you deal with it. So it feels like that. It feels like deciding, okay, 
this relationship is going to, it's going to get a spot in my life where I treat it. I don't take it for granted. I say it deserves energy itself. And that's the work I do. I, I, I do this intake process where we work together for one whole day. Um, I have, I have a, a VIP day. People come in, we dig into the relationship and what needs to happen next to get through this, this, this initial barrier. We do that process. And then after that, people can work with me week to week to do check-ins and, or quarterly to do check-ins to see how things are going. So they can design the relationship they actually deserve instead of just being carried along like some stick that fell in a river. Yeah, which does not sound very satisfying. It's yeah. <laughs> luck of the draw, right? <laughs> yeah. So I want to get back to after you've written your purpose statement and now you want to address what you wrote with your partner. What What's the best time of day or space in the house or should you go for a walk and should you light a candle? Like, I always wonder about this when I'm going to have a difficult conversation. It's like, what, what's the best setting for this? <laughs> what's the best? Yeah. I know that I don't have good conversations like after 8 p.m. because I'm too tired and then I'm just cranky and I don't listen. So exactly. I try to have them early in the day, but I'm wondering if there's a rule of thumb or something that you tell people to do so that these conversations are smoother. Yeah. The first thing to take into account is HALT. So HALT is an acronym for you want to check whether anybody is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. You have to have those needs met first. This is And use this with your toddlers too and your teenagers. If there's hunger, anger, loneliness, or tiredness going on, we can't really connect. So we need to be strategic, especially about the first few conversations. When this is new, when you've been just riding the waves for a long time and not having these conversations, you want to set up the best possible scenario for success. So yeah, I mean, Personally, I think snacks are an imperative. I always put some fruit and, and veggies out on a plate on the table wherever we're meeting. Um, and and I think that that really helps. There's something about the nervous energy. I make sure we both have water. Um, I tend to do really well in the morning. My partner tends to do better in the afternoon. So we usually find a, you know, a middle spot where we're, we're looking at like mid-afternoon, but definitely for us, not after five. Now, I know people who are night people, like they're the kind of people who go tuck themselves in at 3 a.m. Um, so they would never have a, a conversation early in the day. But, you know, I also think that there is something to be said for changing your venue. When your house has become, or your home has become like a tension spot, that alone, that can that can just drive you like you're stuck in that. So going for a walk is a great idea, um, or even even better, like if you can find a spot to have a little little picnicy kind of conversation and treat it like the date that it is, because really this is a reinvestment in your relationship. This is this is the two of you deciding to take an hour or ninety minutes and say, yeah, you know what, we deserve together. This thing deserves our attention. So make it as nice as you can without investing too much in it needing to be perfect. So whatever's going to be pleasant. In the winter, um, because a lot of people just don't go outside, you know, if you can if you can take a brisk walk on a nice sunny, bright day, even in the winter, or if you can start the talk that way before you come back, that can help just to change the mood. And then if you're really, really struggling, it never hurts to have these conversations with a coach or with a therapist present. If the, if the conversation is, is big or you try to bring it up a couple of times and it's, you're hitting a wall. I mean, that's exactly what people who deal with this all the time are for that holding that space so that a new conversation can happen. So, so let's say you've, you've had your 60 or 90 minute conversation. Is there a way that you should end that conversation? Is it like a list of action steps? Should you hug? What do you recommend? So I strongly recommend finding a way to connect at the beginning and connect at the end at the very least. So, you know, kissing and hugging are are so underrated. <laughs> like as far as it, it sounds weird for me to say, make sure you hug your spouse or make sure you, you know, you hug your partner. But if you can, can meet and spend even 10 seconds just looking each other in the eyes, holding hands, if you can connect in some small way, even if you're able to, you know, reach across a table to each other, though I strongly recommend sitting on the same side of a table if you're at a table. Um, if you can find a way to physically and make some eye contact and make some body contact, that's great. And at the end, if things have been rocky, you have an opportunity then 
to take a moment and say, you know, we made progress here. Like no matter how it went, something happened. Action was taken that hadn't been taken. So even if it was difficult, yeah, that's a moment to say, you know what? We we did we did what we could today. And I and thank each other because gratitude can change everything. So Going into it, if I'm talking to a couple, I'll say, you know, at the close of these discussions, yeah, say thank you. Thank you for something. And if you can't find something to be grateful for, try being grateful for what's around you, for the world that is existing around you. You know, when I can't be grateful for how a conversation went, maybe I can be grateful for the fact that we found 60 minutes of quiet. Maybe I can be grateful for the fact that we um, that we didn't raise our voices or that we did raise our voices. If we've never, if we've never done that, maybe it's the first time, you know, we can be grateful for odd things. But um, if I can say those things out loud to my partner, say three things that I'm grateful for out of this conversation. I'm also a fan of writing things down. If you made an agreement, write it down. If there was an agreement, if you came to some kind of agreement, write it down. If you if you don't, and this has been going, this pattern, your old pattern's been going on for a long time, it can be incredibly challenging to meet for the next conversation and find out that only one of you remembers it the way, you know, you each remember it very, very differently. So writing it down together, just, you know, a couple sentences about where we got to, tucking that away, stick it in the front of the book if you want, wherever, and come back to it so that the next conversation can build on this one rather than always starting from the ground up. Yeah. I was just picturing getting a journal that you call like your relationship story and writing in it after each big conversation and either both of you putting something in there or agreeing on what's being written. And then you almost have this timeline of progress. And that's a really special thing to look back on after like 20 hard conversations (laughs) and saying, oh, look where we started. Now look where we are today. Yeah, cool. I have a journal like that from the um, from the from the middle two years. There's there's this two year journal where I wrote we we wrote in this same book every time we made a new relationship agreement, and it is it's a it's a kind of brutal timeline in a way because you can see the pain that we are going through. Mm. At the same time, it's very clear that there was work done, and it's not a ton of words, but it's clear and it's clear also because we both wrote in it, so we can both look back and say, "I showed up, I did the thing, that's what I could do then." Yeah. So thinking on a more like granular level, not so much on my purpose for the relationship, but more like things that bother you on the day to day, like the person never closes the cabinet or leaves the toilet seat up, all the stuff that comes up in relationships. How do you find the words to express the things that bother you without having to take 90 minutes and go sit on a blanket and (laughs) do all the things? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, realistically, you know, some of that is is about deciding what's in, what's mat- actually matters to you. Usually, all those small annoyances. So, when we're in love and things feel like that in love feeling that we get, the, all those little things we just call them idiosyncrasies or quirks. We're like, ah, and we actually love the person because of all those weird little idiosyncrasies. And when we're not having the bigger conversations or the relationship purpose is unclear or our desire for each other is totally invisible, those things become annoyances and frustrations, right? They're the same features. Um, we even see this with roommates. You know, you, you're two friends, you move in together, and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, oh, a lot of your features are really, really annoying up close now that we rely on each other every day. Yeah, sure. So dealing with those things is about prioritizing. You gotta figure out what actually matters and learn how to make some space for the fact that we're not all the same people. So if I'm clear on my actual deal breakers, my honest to God deal breakers versus all these things that I would put on a list, all these all these things I wish worked a certain way. I have a cupboard opener in my house. I'm somebody who leaves the cupboards all the time. You know what? I don't care. The reason why I don't care is because I decided very consciously not to care about that anymore. And it took some effort on my part, but it was about sorting out what I did care about because I do have some things that were deal breakers that I needed dealt with. I just needed to be clear. You, It's just like when we're, when we're talking about, you know, managing an employee or a coworker, we cannot, we cannot bring every single problem because the world, we aren't the center of the universe. We can't ask people to sharpen their pencils the way we want them sharpened. 
it's just not realistic to have a, a happy and uh, a happy collective. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we could talk about this all day, but let's let's end here and then we'll do a part two, three, four, five, and six down the line. And (laughs) your book is called Project Relationship, The Entrepreneur's Action Plan for Passionate, Sustainable Love. It comes out today. Where can we find it? Okay. So today through Saturday, you can um, go to Amazon and actually download it for free as a Kindle book. Um, So yeah, so please do that. And, um, and if, you know, if you dive in and even read a chapter or two, leave a review. And I really want to hear how this stuff hits you. Like, how does it work? Find it. Um, It's going to be available in uh, from other sellers as well. But, you know, right now, Go to Amazon, grab it there. It's the easiest way. And right now you can grab it free. So do that. <laughs> yeah, and it is so worth it. I mean, there. I have a whole page of notes we didn't even get to <laughs> from the book <laughs> of great questions. it's quest- actionable. Yeah, Every it single chapter is about just take this action. Don't yeah. wait any longer. Take this action. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, these are things you can do in five minutes that will change your life. So don't stop yourself from buying this book, go get it. Amazon. I'll put the link in the show notes. Julie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah. I should tell everybody too, though, those little things that annoy the heck out of you. (laughs) A lot of that's about invisible labor stuff, right? Like, Hey, who's doing the dishes? Who's not? And I have a free, um, exercise role clarity guide. It's this awesome, super snazzy, um, like, it's this wonderful, super snazzy little like database chart that you that's already filled in. So the two of you can like fill in the jobs and figure out who's actually responsible. And I offer a guided conversation with that. And you can grab that free on joliehamilton.com right now. Great. Look at this, all these bonuses. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show and hanging out. And we'll definitely do this again. <laughs> awesome. It's always awesome to talk to you. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, you can show me some love by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen so more people can find us. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and it's recorded in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Chris Collins. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now.